Welcome to episode 253 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we hung out with Mei Li Koo and Chikizi Ijiasi, and we talk about building teams in a diverse way and like supporting uh, diverse pipelines and building a team that is not a monoculture and like making sure that your company is set up for uh, success as a team. Yeah. This was a conversation that spun out of some after hours discussions at our 250 live episode. Uh, and we actually get to go in depth and, and learn a lot from Ailey and Chikizi. So we had a great conversation. Hope you will enjoy it too. But before we get into it, we want to thank our sponsors for making this awesome episode possible. First up is Abstract. Abstract lets you have complete version control over all of your design files in the cloud securely and through like a kind of beautiful interface. I think I would say kind of beautiful. I mean, I wouldn't give Tim a full beautiful. <laughs> Tim Van Dam, our good friend, who is a designer there, and also Heather. You get uh, a 90% beautiful. According, like 90% according to beautiful, Bryn. I think. You get 100% for me. I yeah. think it's, uh, the website's gorgeous. The product is well, gorgeous. Tim's leaving us, so I have to decrease the, the yeah. beautifulness. But more than the aesthetics, this thing is useful, and it's going to change the way that you and your team work together. Uh, it's a version-controlled design system that provides a source of truth for all of your design files, which means that as you're collaborating with your team, you don't have any more conflicting copies of files. You don't have duplicates. You have this single source of truth that is version-controlled, which means if mistakes are made, you can go back in time and revert bad decisions. It's which like is, a time travel movie, it's like but a, in your browser. And for your... I think there's an app and, for it, too. And for your yeah. bad designs that you did when you were too tired and needed more sleep. Not only that, but it makes it easy to collaborate with stakeholders who are not designers because uh, Abstract uh, bundles their own application and everything lives in the cloud. It means that your team and company and stakeholders who are not designers can easily jump in, leave comments, and collaborate with you in real time uh, without having to have things like Sketch installed on their computer. So it's it's perfect for, for teams, uh, including designers and then within your design team, it's perfect for making sure that you can work together on the same product without wanting to pull your hair out. You should go try it. You can do we it. You can't guarantee that your team is going to be like <laughs> running smoothly, Yeah, but you might this wanna, won't be the hang up anymore. You might want to pull your hair out for other reasons. Yeah. Uh, but abstract, Unrelated. Abstract will eliminate one of the reasons to want to pull your hair out uh, while you're designing things. You can try it for free for an entire month at goabstract.com. Uh, go to goabstract.com. They have some really awesome pages up on their site now. Uh, they have the How It Works page that is this really awesome, basically comic booky style story of how the product works and how it will be useful for your team. Uh, and of course, when you are inevitably ready to go, you should sign up and you'll get that first month for free. So go to goabstract.com, try it out. Thanks, Abstract. Our second sponsor is our good friend, good friend, friend? at Swipeys. Our good friend, Swipeys. Our good friend at and of. At, of, and from Swipeys. Swipeys are reusable paper, perfect for designers, developers, uh, and as Kaylee would say, everyday humans. Yeah, that she is, coined that term for sure. That is us. Kaylee is our friend who started Swipeys and made it really awesome and shoved them into our hands at yeah. our first ever live show at Etsy and ever since we've been completely addicted. She is a whiteboard drug pusher. Yes. If you've never used them, uh, Swipeys, they're this reusable uh, synthetic wet erase paper 
uh, that makes it really, really easy to take notes, draw wireframes. It has a dot grid on the front so you can draw mockups of websites or apps. Uh, and the way wet erase, wet erase works is it won't That's, swipe off when you rub your hand across it like a dry erase. You actually need water to, to clean the surface. It's like those projector transparencies you yeah. had in school as a That's kid, right. except for that it's whiteboard backed. Yep. Like it's, it's a white piece of paper that is like that material, I guess yeah, laminated, it's like, but it's, I'm not it's sure that, if it's actually lamination. It's, it's like a transparency without the transparency. Yeah, it's it's weird the way they did that. It's kind of a... Yeah. It has dot grid on it. it <laughs> the better, <laughs> you should use it. It's dot grid on the front and plain on the back by default, yeah. I think, but you can customize them and add your own logo and change the dot grid settings. Like mm-hmm. we made some custom ones for Spec FM, mm-hmm. uh, which is our podcast network, and we customized the dot grid to actually match my favorite notebook, mm-hmm. which was super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I use those dot grid uh, field notes and like Kaylee worked with me to actually like make it line up and it was awesome. Um, yeah, we highly use, recommend. We use them all the time. Basically, this is the analog uh, equivalent of a uh, new and improved wireframing mocking up note-taking process. So this will feed perfectly into what you're doing digitally, uh, but in a more useful, shareable, collaborative, uh, eco-friendly way. You should go get them, join the club, uh, upgrade your workflow at swipi.es, that's swipies. S-W-I-P-I dot E-S. Uh, I just realized that I have a testimonial quote on that website, so you can go look at a picture of Sick. my face. Once you are fully convinced that this is something that you need and want and will improve Which the you way are. that you work. You're already done you're, with that. Hopefully, hopefully we've done we, a good we've enough job of that getting for you there. Uh, you can save 10% off your order. If you go to S-W-I-P-I.es, uh, click shop, and as you're checking out, use the promo code SPECFM. It's going to get you 10 percent here's the order of operations okay go get yourself a starter kit live it learn it love it next figure out how to get your team on board you can get custom logo get all different sizes get bulk all that kind of stuff final enlightenment stage is you get your company on board and your company is distributing swipies as the de facto way to collaborate uh, with note-taking and shareable pieces of paper that can move across desks without losing context and fidelity. Uh, go do that at swipi.es. Thanks so much to Swipies. And with that, let's get into episode 253 with Meili Koo and Chikizia Giasi. Hi, I'm Meili. What else am I supposed to say to introduce myself? <laughs> Uh, who you are, where you're from, what you're doing, what you care about. Uh, oh, God, so friends, many things. Friends, family, pets, uh, stance, <laughs> life story, social, mother's yeah. maiden name. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, so I'm. I'm <laughs> what are security questions? Uh, first, name of your first pet. High school best friend. High school mascot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Meili Ku, uh, I'm the VP of design at Khan Academy. And uh, yeah, where am I from? That's a whole other thing. Mm. I was born in the Netherlands, raised in Canada, lived all around the U.S., parents from Indonesia and ancestry mixed Indonesian and Chinese. Mm. You might be one of the most frequent recurring design details guests, I think. 
It's awesome. Getting up it's there. It's been several episodes. Getting so up there. You can go back and listen to her whole life story as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Previous episodes. Look at the anthology. That's excellent. Hi, I'm Chikizi Giassi. I'm a uh, senior product designer at Google. Um, I am in a really good mood today. That's basically my life story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> your life story is you're in a good mood. I'm in a good today mood today. That defines every who day. I am. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I grew up in Iowa, um, went to school for computer science, and then I just transitioned my way into a design career and Mm -hmm. right now i'm passionate about um uh experience design and also bringing some of the opportunities that i had uh, in my transition to um other underrepresented folks uh who are curious about design Mm -hmm. and uh listeners can also listen to your life story on a past design details yeah that was almost a year ago wow Damn, crazy! It's an nice. anniversary. Time flies weirdly in podcasts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been sitting here for I, years. Like, Please help me. I know they were on. I just don't know when. <laughs> we we tried guessing uh, when yeah. Adam Michaela mm. was on and a couple others while we were mm. setting up for the live podcast for episode two fifty, and we were completely off Very by like off. thirty or fifty each time. Like, That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so w- hello again, everybody. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So welcome yeah. back. Uh, <laughs> Actually, that's that's helpful context. So we we started catching up after our 250 live episode uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. So the story behind uh, Chikizi and I being here today is that after episode 250, when the mics were shut off, there was a crowd of people that formed and wound up talking about especially diversity in hiring and diversity in organizations. Um, diversity and inclusion specifically, we, we heard a lot of questions like, um, you know, I'm, I'm a straight white male on a team of straight white males. We're concerned about diversity. What should we do? Or I'm the only woman in my organization and I, you know, want us to get better at hiring, but I'm, we're having trouble, you know, those kinds of questions. And I, I've heard other ones in the past, like, mm-hmm. you know, I care a lot about this, but I'm having trouble getting my management on the same page. Those types of things happen all the time. So this is a fairly common topic and also it tends to be like the burden tends to be placed on people of color already in the industry. That's right. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I want to call out that when, you yeah. know, yeah. I, so I loved a bunch of things that, yeah. that, that Shakizi said during the, that sort of casual dialogue after the panel. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we came up to y'all and we're like, well, maybe we should do the podcast about this. I love that you acknowledged that you're like, you don't have to, we know that you're already yeah. like worked twice as hard because you care about this and mm-hmm. you have to right. wind yeah. up putting in that extra effort. So you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. Right. It's so local to us that we experience it. Um, and we're also uh, advising other people on how to fix it. Um, so yeah, definitely talking about it feels, uh, uh, like something I can just like talk off my chest and just say like, oh, this is what we need to do mm-hmm. um, amongst our teams. Uh, but it can be uh, difficult because that becomes the thing that you're known for is giving that kind of advice um, where I want to talk about games and, you know, and movies and shit. And, and design. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's, <laughs> it's hard as a, it's um, uh, definitely a, a uh, conversations I definitely like to have, but it can sometimes uh, take a toll. But I appreciate, as Maylee said, uh, being able to do this at the scale that we're doing it. Yeah, and I appreciate the awareness yeah. that yeah. you recognize it's like, it's like... We'd love to do that. Like, yeah. that sounds great. I just don't want you to feel like you, like, have some responsibility to us to do it. Yeah. Other than the contract that you sent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just covering our asses. <laughs> you work for us now. Thanks. Uh, Design like, Details right, Season 2 with Jacuzzi and Maylee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm kind of wondering what your take is on that th- this specific problem because 
you know, this, as you said, this is something that you experience and is like part of your day to day thinking about this. Uh, but also it's shouldn't be your responsibility to be the spokesperson of these efforts around diversity and bringing awareness to lack of inclusivity. Like that's not your responsibility, but because it's something that you experience, you mm-hmm. are best equipped right. possibly right. to, to talk about it. And mm-hmm. it's almost this catch 22 of like, you're forced to experience some of the problems here. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you might have mm-hmm. the most experience in it, but you mm-hmm. might not yeah. be the person that wants to talk about it or <laughs> yeah. want to be a quote unquote spokesperson for it. Honestly, right? like my perspective on that is that, you know, there, as much as for everybody's like STEM, 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 you mm-hmm. know, like I, I care a lot about history. And if you look at world history, there's a reason where we, why we are where yeah. we are today, right? So for like 500 years or more, like things were going on. And then you look at, you know, our parents' generation our grandparents' generation and where we are today. And we are, frankly, like some of the first people with our backgrounds that have access to the things that we have access to. So that's why it's on our generation and the next generation to be really putting the effort in. Because mm-hmm. you think about how that effort will scale over time mm-hmm. after those multiple hundred years of history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like worth all the effort because all of that winds up being multiplicative. Yeah, and And so that's, you know, I just, you know, that, thumbs the brakes that's this is like history is history mm-hmm. and and now we're we're doing what we can so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think it's and and, and actually to, you know to some extent it th- this is squarely in my responsibility as a hiring manager as a person sure. who's building a team so sure. hmm. um so i think part of the reason that a lot of people wind up asking me is because I've yeah. thought about it a lot and, and, and it is something that's that's my job. That was another reason this episode was particularly interesting. Uh, you're coming in as a manager and Chikizi, you're an IC at mm-hmm. Google, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for people out there, IC stands for individual contributor, mm-hmm. which probably still doesn't mean anything to Thank you. you. So individual contributor is, um, you know, somebody who is obviously very responsible for the work they do, but they don't necessarily have to manage mm-hmm. or they don't technically manage. Like, Basically, if you're in a corporation, once you're a manager on paper, there's certain things that you absolutely have to take care mm-hmm. of for people or, mm-hmm. um, you know, it doesn't mean that an individual contributor is, <laughs> isn't part of the hiring process and right. all of that. Right. But at the end of the day, they're usually not responsible for formulating an offer or they're not directly responsible for making those hires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's been nice actually making the transition from individual contributor to manager to what's something in between, which is just like a design lead, like you yeah, get to own a the product, lead, right? Um, and then going back to um, just kind of like owning that kind of like design lead space mm-hmm. um, where I um, I love being able to work with people, but I don't want to be responsible for their salaries. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know what? I don't care about how much you get paid. I just, I really like working with you. Yeah. Um, but also being able to provide like the direction needed for a, a product per se. But there's, there's certain things that you lose, uh, right? There's gives and takes mm-hmm. uh, going back and forth between those things um, and there's certain things that I do miss about being a manager and being able to actually uh, design through others and actually remove myself uh, from that process and and some of that kind of applies to today's conversation about diversity and inclusion um, uh, in terms of like being able to actually create uh, visuals and experiences that actually take into consideration my own life experiences right whereas if I'm managing like a a team that's not necessarily diverse, or maybe it is, um, I have to kind of um, uh, uh, apply those things through them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they might not understand the direct context, right? So sure. some of that stuff is hard. So I kind of, I'm trying to find that balance of how do I scale my career um, 
um, and also find the things that um, I care about um, and blend the two together. Sure. Uh, it's difficult. Yeah. 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 So one of the things that I that you brought up, I think, when we were talking after the panel mm. um, was about team readiness mm -hmm. for hiring people that might look different from everyone else on the team or might be culturally very different from everyone else on the team. Right. Um, I remember like I wound up having to say something that I, I think this is kind of bummer news for a lot of people, but it's really, really important to remember when you have a small team, which is that even if you have the nicest, most well-intentioned group of people, if there's already an existing monoculture in the group, if you hire someone else who's really, really different, they are there is there's there's a certain level of discomfort and coping that that person is going to have to mm. deal with, no matter how nice everybody else is in that in that room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've seen this over and over again. It's I think it's really hard news to deliver because a lot of people will say like, "Well, I'm but I'm a nice person and mm -hmm. I really care." And yeah. you're like, "Yes, I'm, I know." Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that this doesn't wind up feeling hostile. Right. How early does that start? I mean, from like a company building startup included, you know, you have a, a team of three white dudes building a startup, like the prototypical. Uh, He's referring to us cliche. at Spectrum right now. <laughs> Our team is three white dudes. It's like, how would you hypothetically We've do been this working. for? Yeah. <laughs> but at that point, like, um, no matter who we hire, if they're not a white dude, like just by the nature of the three founding members being of that group, like, it creates that by default, which sucks, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure exactly how to think about that if it's just an unavoidable. And then the question becomes, what are the systems in place to make that uh, fourth person feel like as good as they can, I guess? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things uh, in that conversation at the end of that uh, live episode that uh, mainly uh, brought up uh, was if you have two recs, and I love this idea. I've never, I haven't heard this before. Is um, actually bringing in multiple underrepresented people uh, so Together. that they, yeah, they don't come in alone. Because um, I think back on like my own experiences of being the only black guy in a team, and you're kind of walking on. Uh, not eggshells, but it's like you're, you're I'm anticipating something racist is going to happen at any given time. It's like an earthquake. It's like, you know, it's going to happen. <laughs> you just don't know when. It's like living in San Francisco. It's like living in San Francisco. So it's just one of those things that um, easing that burden on that one person um, and giving them somebody that also they can connect to. I'd love to hear more about that in terms mm -hmm. of uh, what you're thinking as well, because I love that idea of actually as a tactical thing that we can actually do. Yeah. Um, you said two recs. I assume that means like headcount. Two headcounts. Sorry, yeah. I'm using a lot of a. So, so what? Yeah, what I wound up saying is that if you have, yeah, if you have two job openings, mm -hmm. um, at that point in time, it's really I would recommend trying to figure out how you can bring in two people from underrepresented mm -hmm. groups at the same time. Mm -hmm. I actually learned about that practice from certain places in academia that have had a lot of luck with that. Mm. Um, we were looking at the history of mathematicians actually, and. Uh, there's, you know, there have been all kinds of mathematicians um, of different backgrounds, but there was one, this one little blip a while ago where it, I think it was three or four Taiwanese women that all wound up having these prolific careers in math mm -hmm. at the same time. And it's because they were together. Mm -hmm. So they mm -hmm. like came into the field together and stuck together and then were able to make a splash because they weren't alone. And so they didn't wind up getting like um, 
yeah, having to deal with things that would have made them right. be like right. leave or right. feel uncomfortable and leave. And right. uh, I think it might have been UCLA or there was another another university recently that mm. took that on as a hiring practice for their mm -hmm. faculty because obviously in a lot of universities in higher ed there is a lot of issues with diversity there too. Mm -hmm. um, so they use that as a tactic. They yeah. said, okay, we're going to open two o job openings. We're going to hire several female mathematicians. In this particular case, it was a gender thing. That's dope. That's yeah. dope. And that's, a, that's an example of an existing culture being aware of a problem. Yeah. Um, and uh, having uh, the teeth to uh, bring forward a solution. And we can see that impact today. Um, so that's really cool kind of thinking about, like, how do you prepare your team and your culture uh, and your process uh, to so that it is inclusive of new people from unrepresented groups joining your team, and that I <laughs> I wish I had like a silver bullet answer for like how you do that, and it's really hard because there's it comes I think it comes down to the actual product that you're making, um, and we look at um, if you look at an example of like how you actually like make the elevator pitch or like the mission statement for like your company or your product um, and how you talk about it and, and who it's actually communicating to will influence who comes to your company. Mm. Um, it's going to influence the third person, the fourth person, like whatever um, that sets in motion uh, how people look at you and uh, the people that you gather and say like, you know what? I believe in that mission and I want to work on that. My favorite example, and I, I give them uh, a lot of like credit um, is number one, Walker and company, how that on their homepage, it says we make beauty products for people of color. Mm -hmm. It's like, so you look at their about page, people of color. <laughs> so yep. it's amazing. Like Khan Academy, uh, thinking about um, the different things that like, I don't use Bumble because I can't because I'm married. <laughs> so well, I think about like the, you yeah, can. I can, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. Right, but I, I think about, I've never used the product so I can't see like the effect of it, but I think about the product of Bumble and how I hear about it's a product where women have the control over the experience, right? It. So it's like, um, if somebody was uh, quote unquote like woke to say like, I want to fix this dating scene problem, uh, but I want to do it that uh, enables more women to have more control over that process. Like you kind of, your list of companies to join is narrow mm -hmm. because you can go like, look at like Bumble and like all these other brands now have to decide, you know what, maybe we'll do that too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I really like the uh, using the product as kind of the, um, the way to communicate to the world. Um, that your culture is actually in tune with right. some of our values. I think it also changes your incentives, right? It's like mm -hmm. if that is your mission, like right. in the case of Khan Academy, yeah. or that's your case right. in, in any of the examples that you were talking about, it right. means that if you don't have representation right. from the groups that you're frankly like, well, that you're serving and frankly relying on in order to be a successful company, yeah. um, then you're going to, miss out on a lot of information that you need in order to make a product that's great for the people you want to serve. Right. Um, so, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's one. Yeah. Um, that's bring, like a bring starting people point. In groups. Right. right. Uh, but, um, yeah. Well, if you can bring mm -hmm. in, like making sure that somebody isn't the only one. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's um, just like, uh, that feeling, I just to share an anecdote. I still remember, um, when the team that I was on went from, no other women and no other people that weren't white to two women that weren't white and just having another i still remember when like linda she sent me a little message and was like do you have a safety pin and i was like yes mm -hmm. and, and both of us had worked previously on all male teams mm -hmm. and she was like 
I can't believe how amazing this feels that you have a safety <laughs> pin and I can ask you for it. It's just, there's all these tiny little details that will come up that you don't even realize what you're missing until, mm-hmm. or you do realize what you're missing and it's just painful the whole right. way. <laughs> there's right. there's yeah. also right. that, but it's just so hard because there's nobody else that you can, that's witnessing those things. I think when you're mm. the only, yeah. Um, that's Linda and, Dong, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Who's so that wonderful. Apple yeah. on the prototyping team. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. One thing mainly I'd love to get your perspective on is um, if I do land on like a team per se, like if I do join a team, I'm the only um, uh, minority on the team and something does come up. Um, like, let's say like we're managing like a new product and you just see like an opportunity where that product can get like, you know, either like misused or it's like a kind of ignoring the underrepresented group. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I've seen happen, particularly to me, is like, um, I'll bring up, it's like, hey, by the way, did we think about this use case where this could like affect this person? Um, and then now I'm like known for being the person that brings up like all the negative like use the cases. The blind spots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And then everybody like whenever we're talking about like a new product and um, we're talking about potential uh, um, um, bad uh, misuses of product, everybody looks at you. It's like, oh, Chikizi, what do you think is about to happen with this product? <laughs> so it like puts you on the spot. Yeah. It was so, the like, one time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do you um, uh, draw out those uh those uh um not only those use cases like ways that um uh, your product uh might actually harm uh underrepresented people but also uh finding people that care about it that mm. can speak to it at, like a meta level without having to be the only person every single time yeah you don't so want to be like the complainer or right, something right exactly so yeah. I'm not then you wind up being alone right yeah that's why it's nice to have somebody else around so, yeah in uh, the interview stages that like my concern was that at first blush, that sounds like weird and competitive between the people you've brought in. Mm. Um, I get, like I'm trying to understand the headcount. Like, do you just bring in two people that are potentially up for the two spots? Is that what you're like yeah, describing? Okay, exactly. Mm. Got it. Uh, so, sorry, the, I guess that wasn't clear. The point of that is that you never wind up in a situation where you've got essentially a whole bunch of people on the team that mm. are very, very similar in yeah. many aspects and then only one person yeah. who's different from all of them. Right. So that's why like, if you wind up in that kind of imbalance, yeah. if possible, bring in two people at a time. Mm. Sure. That, that's what that's so that they yeah. have the other person. Yeah. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. the main, the main yeah. goal of that. Yeah. Rather than it's not that you have one slot and you're making them compete. It's that you have two slots and you're bringing them in Got together. It. So if, yeah. if greater than one, you can do this. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. I think yeah. that's um, like, I've been in multiple situations where there's at least one other, one other woman or one other person of color or one other woman of color where we're able to, you know, there's like little something will happen and we'll wind up exchanging looks. And then there's this mm-hmm. decision point of like, are we going to take the moment to explain what just happened or are we not going to bother? But then we're not alone mm-hmm. in yeah. it. We can decide together through that sort of nonverbal exchange of looks. Mm-hmm. While as if there's nobody else there, I think a lot of the times that data will get lost for everybody mm-hmm. else in the group because the one person who's different from everybody else is just going to take a deep breath and be like, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like bringing this up. It's like mm-hmm. a silent support system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yes. But then to get to what Shikizu was saying is if you are that one person and you do say something, how do you avoid getting pigeonholed or possibly even excluded as being viewed as like the person who's mm-hmm. going to be, mm-hmm. you know, 
the one to roadblock things or mm. yeah, or to yeah. bring up you know all these problems which by the way it should be a good thing right is yeah. like yeah. <laughs> more people identifying right. ways of, of a product could be abused but yeah one thing, yeah yeah go ahead one thing that's helped me in the past is like um and this is a, actually a really nice thing for our listeners is like if I have one other person on the team and, and frankly, like it doesn't matter optically what they look like, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, or, or it doesn't even matter what their ethnic background or their race or their gender is. But if they have a way of signaling that they get it mm -hmm. and we wind up being able to have those conversations in private and we understand that we're on the same page, mm -hmm. that's all it takes for, that's all it took for me to survive a lot longer in environments where I was the only person uh, of my, so um, he might be em embarrassed, but I'm going to say his name anyway. So David Hart, who was on my old team at Apple was an example of somebody like that for me, who just, mm -hmm. it's just so clear that he yeah. saw the things that I was seeing mm -hmm. and we were able to have conversations about it. And so I didn't mm -hmm. feel yeah. as alone. I think eventually also having, knowing who those people are that care about those same things and yeah. making sure that they're also armed to like advocate alongside you yeah. makes you a lot less alone. So there's like incentive for them to also do it. They didn't feel like they were, um, uh, they were doing it at the cost of like their career. Maybe they were, but it, it was just, it felt like the right thing to do. Yeah. 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 Because oftentimes like, you know, people in all forms have those concerns. Mm -hmm. It's just, they, they might also not, realize that you appreciate them expressing mm -hmm. those concerns or like asking them. Um, so I think that's a really, it's, that's been really, really useful. Like mm -hmm. I, um, I've certainly found that useful in multiple companies. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Have you had any experiences where people were overly sensitive or something on your behalf and like that caused problems or is that not been an issue for you? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, an interesting that question. sometimes does happen where um, it's a uh, your woke statements get turned into uh, almost like this um, uh, rally of like everything is triggered, triggering mm -hmm. now, um, and that stuff does get roadblocking, which can be difficult. So the goal basically is to enable everyone to think about how your product like affects. Um, uh, every culture. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate thing would be not understanding the problem well enough where you're fixing the wrong things or you're noticing the wrong things or things that just have either a minuscule impact or things that uh, won't impact the community like at large. Um, so I think there's uh, an appetite to create some sort of process that enables any designer um, regardless of what you look like from an Optus perspective, to actually formalize the way that we think about um, uh, how our products uh, impact uh, people. Because the way that we design our products uh, impacts the ways that our teams look. Um, and I think the, uh, the more woke or the more aware your team is, uh, you, won't have, you won't have to worry about like, oh shit, like we'll have to like, send this to Chikizi to see if there's anything that stands yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's just part of the design. So you just, you have, it's like a, any other job, like you have like a visual designer, like working on something and you know, it's going to come out beautiful because you just gave that person that thing. Right. Yeah. So if you have like a diverse team, like your product is just going to be generally like more aware, probably depending on the, 
the viewpoints of that team, but it's going to sure, be sure. generally like more aware, right? So uh, I'm curious about that formalization aspect of it because mm-hmm. formalization in any process usually mm-hmm. leads to, in my experience, the process being followed. But it's the formalization and defining the rules around it, and right. then, like at what point in the process does this set of rules come into play? So I'm curious if you have experience on mm. when and and what that formalization looks like, like. Right brainstorming phase we we come up with all stuff or is it like Hmm. yeah yeah are you talking about like um in the recruiting hiring process or in the design process oh man uh both (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah yeah, we should actually do both yeah Yeah. Uh, i I guess i was originally talking about the like product building process but the hiring process process, formalization there is one interesting as well thing um and talked a little bit about this at the Vectors conference that uh, Gabriel um, Baldivia, yeah, that he hosted. Oh, I love that guy. He, um, um, we talked about uh, creating user journeys that didn't imagine like this super nice, like easy flow. Like let's say, like I'm designing like a social product and people are like posting photos and stuff, right? And a lot of the times, like, we'll see, like, people posting photos of, like, beautiful coffee cups with, like, very nice, you know, cappuccinos and very beautiful photos of trees and, like, these walkways. Vacation photos from Yosemite yeah. shot on a $4,000 camera. Yeah. Uh, yes. The old Mike Mattis <laughs> yeah. maneuver. That, yeah, that sounds very Apple. Yeah. And it's like, it's like <laughs> Apple, Facebook, four-letter yeah. name. Oh, yeah. yeah. Got it. It's I just remember looking at right. so many photos from Mammoth Lake. I'm yeah. Oh, my Lake. gosh, yeah. yeah. So it's one of those things, like, depending on the product that you're making, if you're making a social product, you need to imagine how that product is going to be misused and like abused. Um, so um, actually, if I've never worked at Twitter, but I have worked on a social product before, like working on Plus, um, rest in peace. <laughs> it's, a, it's one of those things that um, you can create an actual flow where you can imagine um, somebody that wants to misuse the product and abuse or like harass other people. Um, imagine actually what steps they actually take to get to that point. So if I'm um, like a uh, white nationalist and I want to like harass people online, there's an actual user flow for that, right? So you can actually optimize your flow now to imagine what are things that you can do as a designer or as a company to actually prevent that from happening or what are things that you can catch along the way. Um, so that's like one kind of idea and I've, I've used some of that. Um, I wish I did more of it. Um, but I've used some of that when we uh, design like safety products when I was working at Nest is like imagining like what's the worst thing that can like happen, right? And it was easy to like catch stuff because of that. You're like, you're putting, you're stress testing your UX flow. Yeah. Um, so I think from a design process standpoint, that's some of the things that I've done. And I think there's some formalization that can happen around that. But um, uh, that's something that I can generally like speak to. But from the hiring standpoint, I'm going to have to like, um, put Melee on the spot because <laughs> like, I can't speak to that as well. Uh, I, have, I have one other example that, that comes to mind there and that's yeah. around names because mm-hmm. if you have even just a team of people from the United States yeah, yeah. or Western culture where mm-hmm. this concept yeah. of first name, last name, mm-hmm. designing social products, like mm-hmm. you end up with very different, even down to like data modeling of how you store user information. Oh um, man, names, like, international names. Yeah, and then you go international. So oh. we, we actually... For Spectrum, mm-hmm. we we have a first name, mm-hmm. last name field in our database. We don't really use it, uh, but someone noticed it because we're open source. They're like, hey, by the way, just so you know, like first names don't mean shit anywhere else or they're in many cultures reversed. So just right. a heads up. Right. And it's a good reminder, like 
even beyond, you know, race and gender is just like this geography as well of just even knowing that that's a problem or mm. uh, knowing that in other places there are very common 50 character names. Yeah. And like, is your UI prepared for that? Right. You know, yeah. that, those totally. kinds of issues. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I love, I think we came up, we coined a name, we call them troll flows. Isn't yeah, that what we yeah. call them? <laughs> troll flows. Yeah, troll flows. Just... So you got like your primary user flows right. and your primary troll flows. Yeah. Uh, how do you, can, can I ask another yeah. tactical thing? Yeah, yeah. I feel like, a troll flow that I often envision is just doing something that the product allows many times in a short period of time, mm -hmm. like Twitter DMs. Mm -hmm. A troll flow would just be sending you lots and lots of DMs, yeah. right? right? Yeah. Sending them to as many people as possible. That's something yeah. that happens all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or just right, yeah. sending it to one person over and over again. Yeah, and yeah that's totally right. right. <laughs> Maybe this gets into some some leadership stuff and like product culture, but maybe those would be considered edge cases mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like you would have to fight yeah. to convince product leadership to invest time in building anti that anti troll flow right right it takes a lot of work to build up a tool that says like oh you shouldn't be well, sending rate this many messages or something yeah like rate limiting of private yeah, messages rate, rate limiting is versus definitely. manual blocking sure 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 right. so right. like how do you even fight for some of those things which is like this is what the product's built for this yeah. is how it should be used but now we have to like fight for all these layers of things that could happen. They mm -hmm. might be edge cases at this stage in our product's life cycle. Sure. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that's really hard uh, for a lot of companies um, is figuring out what to measure. Mm. And it's kind of like, you know, potential PR disaster costs and things like that. <laughs> like we, we just, we don't tend to, we don't tend to measure how much those things cost when they go wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Or like publish those numbers. And so I think that has to come into the calculation a little bit, which yeah. is like, Okay, if we architect it this way, it's fine for now. It covers our 80% case, doesn't mm -hmm. cover the quote-unquote edge cases. Yeah. If you need to change something fundamental about your architecture to cover those things, then you probably want to do it now rather than build twice later. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of depends on what part of the architecture or the code base or the or the product that this yeah. thing is going to affect, mm -hmm. I right. think. And that if it's going to be like the potential PR and, and lawyer costs of something terrible happening slash like building up tech product debt and then having to do it twice. Mm -hmm. th that's how I would cost that in. Yeah. But I think that, you know, when leadership's making trade-offs about that stuff, a lot of the time they're, there's like a gigantic pool of things they need to prioritize and having the right numbers mm -hmm. that help them prioritize is mm -hmm. like, that's and those are hard numbers it. to get it. They're hard yeah. numbers to get. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and there's a, there's, I guess you could like shape it in the form of maybe growth. Uh, like, um, um, let's talk about maybe like the gaming industry as like an example, right? Like I avoid games like Call of Duty, uh, Battlefield, where there's like open communication between players. Yep. Um, because I, I'm tired of like hearing like racial slurs, right? So I just avoid them altogether, right? I like never play online like shooters or anything like yeah. that just because it's absolutely miserable experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's, uh, is there's something interesting when, we talk about like in one conversation, like kind of like design, like having a seat at the table mm -hmm. um, for our, like among business people, um, executives, um, we have an opportunity to bring to light. We are missing out on a vast number of customers um, when we don't imagine these journeys, when we're actually um, just making products just because that's just how they work. So we need to make sure it's consistent with like previous things like that's great. And I understand that, but um, you know, people, there's a large group of people that don't play these games because they're tired of the abuse, right? Yeah. There's a lot of people that don't go on social because they're tired of the abuse. So there's, and that brings to light like everything that all of you are bringing up, which is the incentive, like 
what is your incentive to do it so that mm-hmm. one, you have a career after you do do it. <laughs> and then two, like what is your manager's incentive to take your idea and bring it to leadership? What is your leadership's incentive to convince their stakeholders and like the, the people funding that company to say, you know what, we're going to actually invest in protecting um, uh, women and minorities in the gaming community. All right. So it's the, it's, it's hard. I don't, I've never started a company, so I can't speak to it. But there, I know that there's something happening where you can actually make a product that considers those people and you actually stand out from the crowd because of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the one thing I'll call out is mm. there's no better time than now. Yeah. Mm. Just like given where we are at this moment in history mm-hmm. in 2018 with everything that's going on in the world, like yeah. this is the time to be yeah. bringing stuff up. And especially if you find other people around you to help like together to bring stuff up i think you're gonna make more headway now than Mm -hmm. you would have like three years ago for Mm -hmm. example i feel like there was a lot of complacency frankly that i was seeing among people then and Mm -hmm. now people are like "Uh oh no (laughs) Uh we we need to actually build in some morals into our product Whoa. Oh, like I, I was I was recently at something and people were talking about like hiring chief philosophers for their company oh, or like Jesus. ethics people oh. and all of There's this. There's John Gold's like, future career. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so yeah, I mean this is this is definitely the time mm-hmm. to yeah, be. the gaming example is interesting. I I play Overwatch and they have a huge problem with player toxicity and mm-hmm. voice communication. Mm-hmm. And so over the last year they've just continually been iterating on how do we reduce toxicity and uh, watching them design that in real time has been fascinating. And what they're trying right now is basically uh, incentivizing uh, the opposite. Like Mm -hmm. they're not trying to punish people who are bad, but trying Mm -hmm. to just uh, reward people who are good Mm -hmm. communicators. Um, They do have like a punishment system, which just comes down to like Mm -hmm. frustrating bad players. So, if you're an asshole in voice comms and people say that you're an asshole, the next time you queue up for a game, your queue time's going to be twice as long or something mm, like that because more people don't want to play with you. So they just make you wait longer to play, which is mm, like smaller things, uh, but maybe that adds up. I don't know. Wow, yeah. Designer news, once someone was blocked, they were only shadow banned and they would end up in a version of designer news with everyone else who'd been shadow banned and they called it what? hell. What? <laughs> yeah, there's actually a lot, of, there's a lot of games that do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, they just put the... they. They have like a separate quarantine that, yeah. and people don't know that yeah. they're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to be bad actors to each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's like, oh man, that's like a, that's a really good like horror movie. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, where are we? This, yeah. this is literal hell. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, that's what The Good Place yeah, uh, awesome. TV show is about. Mm. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're in The Good Place, but yeah. they're actually in The Bad Place. <laughs> yeah, Spoilers, so, sorry. Yeah. Season one. Mm. I think I think another question that I've heard multiple times is like, how do you avoid tokenism? Mm-hmm. How do you avoid people saying like, well, I've got a quota, and so I need to like yeah. find a black person to put in this quota or something yeah. like that? Yeah. And I think that um, you know, my answer has always been, and it starts with what you were saying, like, what are you building, mm-hmm. and then what is your criteria for hiring? So you need to. It's not like you're trying to like, you know, band aid on something, mm-hmm. but you're trying to look at the fundamental qualities that you're hiring for and mm-hmm. what the qual- what the fundamental qualities you want your team to have mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's the, you have to go deep you have to take a step a step deeper yeah so um one thing i learned from people uh at teach for america because mm-hmm. they have to be really careful to make sure they're weeding out people with savior narrative in classrooms with what um to weed out people that have a savior narrative that people savior like narrative. yeah there's, there's always been this kind of issue of um you know 
people from positions of a lot of privilege, oftentimes like white upper middle class like people, white going saviorism, in, white white savior narrative, yeah. going into yeah. like well like Avatar or like Dance uh-huh. of the Wolves mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. but then also going into classrooms where you know it's like an inner city classroom that's full of mm-hmm. kids of color, and mm-hmm. then like saving all the kids of color, right? Yeah. That's like that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of this narrative that people have in their head, and so mm-hmm. they have to be really careful with that because there's all kinds of assumptions that people will make about those kids, and then mm-hmm. the kids. You know, they don't wind up being treated with the level of respect that they yes. need to be treated yeah. with. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, an organization like Teach for America has to like watch out for that. Um, mm-hmm. So they ask a co- like in the hiring criteria, they actually ask a couple of questions that um, that are just open response questions, so they can get an idea of how people think about things, and mm-hmm. that's like what they've added onto their hiring, hiring mm-hmm. criteria. Do you know um, what one of those questions is by chance? Well, so one thing we do, we have a, a question that asks about um, cultural contribution. Um, so it just mm-hmm. kind of gives it gives people a chance to talk a little bit about how they think about culture mm-hmm. um, in the mm-hmm. workplace mm-hmm. Out when they're applying. And mm-hmm. that's a mandatory question even for people that we've recruited mm-hmm. um, by hand mm-hmm. so that we have some idea of how they think about things. Yeah. Interesting. And w- what, what that will do is like people who don't care about it all will often be quite resistant. Mm. So in the like, apparently we've had people respond and say like, "This is dumb. Why do I have to answer this question?" <laughs> and then you know you're like, "Well, yeah. I can write uh, code. It to doesn't get a matter job what is it. why." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, like revisiting your criteria and what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's like, and you can do that as a hiring manager or as a leader or a founder. You can say like, "No, no, no this is what we're about." Make it something that's fundamental to what's what matters to you and your team, and then mm-hmm. hire for it. Mm-hmm. Because who you, yeah, who you hire, fire, and promote is like what you know. Those are the values that you're living. So, right. if you don't have criteria in place um, for the things that really matter to you, then yeah, mm. yeah. And if it does really matter to you, and it's not there, then maybe it doesn't actually matter to you. Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? I, <laughs> I, I really, really love these tangible examples. And now we're talking about like the formalization around the hiring process, which mm. is where we were going, anyways. I'm curious if there's more things like that that you've mm. you've discovered that are like these are helpful tactical things that you can go do right now. So, for example, here's this question about cultural contribution. Like anyone listening that's a hiring manager can take that and mm-hmm. go do that. Absolutely. Are yeah. there other other things that come to mind either on the hiring or the the uh, product development side that we can, yeah, I mean, somebody could go yeah. do right after listening to this. I guess I'm gonna name drop uh, Maylee again, <laughs> and because uh, right she has my uh, one of my favorite quotes, um, and it's one of those quotes that you're like, man, I feel like I've like thought that, but I've never like said it out loud. It's understanding the problem is half the solution, and it rings so true with how we can make this paradigm shift in how we design our products. Um, because right now we we think that, you know, we're saving the world or we're like making the world a better place. I did air quotes, by the way. I mean, that's saviorism at its best, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. So, but there's, your product can either be, it's either missing a bunch of problems that it could be solving or it's creating new problems. So I think spending a lot of time actually thinking about the problem that your product is actually like focused on. Um, from both ends of that spectrum, um, will do wonders for the growth of like your product. Like it's just, it's just natural. Um, so I think the from a design process standpoint, spend more time in like those user journeys, like thinking about not only those positive flows, but the unfortunate like misuse um, and uh, the troll flows. Right? <laughs> uh, think about um, what are the ways that you can, as a product, make people feel safe. Um, cause a lot of products are becoming naturally social now. 
Um, a lot of them have like feeds, like it's interesting, like how the feed just kind of exploded like as this thing that has to exist in every product. Um, and if your product has a feed, there's an opportunity for abuse. That's just how it is. So just like imagine how that product can react um, and also support people that like really want to use it, but they just have this inkling in their mind that, you know, the, that racist earthquake is going to happen. <laughs> like I'm going to, is going to happen in every product is unfortunate. Uh, so how would your product react? And mm. I think we can look at like Starbucks as an example, because every, every company follows this model uh, when there's a crisis, like they, they respond to the situation, they take control of it and then they pivot. Right. So that's crisis management. And there's like books written on crisis management because every company waits until the very end to react to something. Mm. So I think there's an opportunity for design to kind of offer this proactive kind of solution via uh, user journeys and um, finding incentive and finding people uh, amongst leadership that are passionate about these as well, because I'm sure they exist. They just might not be um, talking about it. Right. Yeah, it should be. I mean, one way to one way to do this tactically might be to um, to allocate for it the same way you would for security protocols on like at, in your company's infrastructure. Like whoever's mm -hmm. building the infrastructure, right. like, there's certain kinds of security things that you realize at some point in time like these are not optional. Mm -hmm. It's kind of similar. It's like if they've done their job, then it doesn't become a problem, right? That's the problem. It's 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 like a little bit like I call it like being the basest. Mm -hmm. Like people only notice when you screw up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> people only notice the basis when yeah. they screw up. I relate up. to this. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I'm a perfect um, yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's that kind of work, but then, you know, uh, creating a culture in your company where the people who are preventing mm. potential disasters, like, where that is a thing that you celebrate and you put those people at the front of the company and say like, hey, I know that nothing blew up, but the only reason it didn't blow up is because these people are doing a great yeah. job. Yeah. And we don't need to wait for something to blow up to tell them that they did a great job. We mm. should just highlight to everybody like all of the things that could happen yeah. if we didn't have these wonderful people that were preventing. It sounds like a QA-ish function. But well, that, that's like, yeah. that's a huge fundamental shift in incentive structures within large companies, right? Yeah, they like, usually forget not, about infra. Mm. That's just, yeah. Like, yeah. No, that's one Beyond thing diversity, like let's talk about incentive <laughs> structures of maintaining code. It's mm -hmm. like doesn't yeah. fucking exist, so yeah. nobody does it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then people have to pay like so much money. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I I think another like concrete thing that people, especially people in, you know, everybody will wind up uh, in a hiring committee at some point in time, mm -hmm. probably in their design career, is to look at what it is that you are, what it is that you're using as a competence signifier, like what kinds of signs are you looking for in a person that you're hiring that are, that give you cues that you think that person is competent and like making sure that you're specific about the bullets of what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Because what I have noticed a lot of people do is use traditional competence signifiers, which I would say things are like, I speak really confident. Big you know, words. I, big words. <laughs> I speak really, you know, confidently. Um, and a lot of people, I think, use confidence as a shortcut for competence, mm. Mm, which yeah. I think is really dangerous. I think that's frankly how a lot of people get cut out during hiring processes. Because, you know, if you come from a group where a lot of external messages you get is always that you're less somehow, like your environment is always kind of cueing that you're somehow not as good mm -hmm. as other people, then you internalize that after a while and that becomes part of your communication. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for example, I've noticed a lot of candidates where they'll, they'll kind of, they won't claim, they won't say like, I did this and, um, or I'll notice the opposite. Like I ran into somebody the other day that was like, 
this whole feature at Apple happened because of me. And I was like, that's not how that uh-huh. works. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> you must um, be some kind of genius. Yeah. So the, the, so the over-claiming, the under-claiming, the yeah. way all of those, those like the more traditional cues of how somebody carries themselves or how mm-hmm. they talk about that work. Like, does that really matter at the end of the day mm-hmm. in the position you're trying to fill? Mm-hmm. And if not, then like, Let's get more specific about what it is that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So a a lot of, I think, what I'm talking about are like get really, you know, down into the details of what, you know, what your your requirements are and like why, both for your product success Mm -hmm. and for the people that you hire, like what what actually matters here. Because I think a lot of us just kind of do whatever's the traditional thing. Mm -hmm. I also think that if more people and more companies were able to experiment with those things, we could actually share the knowledge out. And say like, hey, actually, we started changing things in our company so that like we incentivized and measured our like tech debt burn down and made sure that was up on the screen all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, those are mm-hmm. up on the monitors all around the company. Mm-hmm. Did that change people's behavior? Yeah. You know, like when you never measure, you know, what's measured is managed. So if you never measure those things, then mm-hmm. you can't you can't fix them. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I I feel like if we all kind of had like the you know the what's the word chutzpah or <laughs> if you like put push for this and you say like no 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 actually we want to change mm-hmm. change the incentives and change the underlying requirements because we know that there's all this broken stuff mm-hmm. um, yeah. then maybe we can actually get somewhere that's definitely the case in hiring yeah I, I know more companies these days do like unconscious bias training mm-hmm. as well yeah um what do you think about like anonymity to some degree in a hiring process Mm -hmm. up into a certain point. Mm. You know, there's all the studies around, especially musicians, like put a screen between the the judge and the player and like Mm. it does crazy things to the numbers of- And then they had to put a carpet down, right? Because people could still hear their heels walking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable these like how small of a cue and I think of- you know, hopefully people that are hiring are, are good people, but you, yeah, you this get is- someone's resume, you go to their website, you look at their Twitter account, you look at their LinkedIn, and there's just those three things is like a million possible cues to introduce yeah. this and you bias. Know, of like this person's competent or not, or I like them or I don't. And we don't know what our, you know, our minds do all kinds, like human minds are so complex and we find so many ways to justify our things to ourselves. I think like the first step I would tell anybody is like separate the idea of having bias from the idea of being a good person Mm. like those are not the same they have nothing to do with each other like Mm. everybody's got biases like Mm. and honestly like Mm. i don't know if you feel this way but like some of the worst perpetrators are people who are who are sometimes the people who are subjected to it themselves like Mm. like internalized Mm. racism or sexism is the most dangerous kind right you've turned it inward on yourself Mm -hmm. you're you're actively keeping yourself back and Mm. or you're actively keeping you know your 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 brothers and sisters and cousins and you know people that Mm. are related to you or that have yeah. a similar background to you yeah. down also. Like we yeah. see that all the time. Like yeah. usually in the form of I'm trying to protect you. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. Or like um, you see that even nationally, like I've heard people complain about that where they're like, Oh, well we'll only hire an American company. We won't hire a company from our own country to do this big project. Mm-hmm. You know, like you see that kind of like sort of internalized mm-hmm. stuff come up. Um, And yeah. So that, so I think it's just, you know, we just got to, tackle the 
the biases mm. uh, kind of with with a curiosity and an analytical mind, like the combination yeah. of the curiousness and analytical mind, and right. just disentangle it from the idea of like being a bad or a good person. Mm. Like, yeah. Also, be just to be frank, like. I don't believe in good or bad people. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, that's a dichotomy that's not part of like our philosophy. Like mm-hmm. we believe that people, mm-hmm. there's people and there's behaviors. Mm-hmm. So there's behavior that's great and behavior that's not great. And mm-hmm. that's that's what we're trying to. Yeah, I, I think fix. you posted on Facebook the other day about dichotomies being like a Western thing anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Black, white, yeah, exactly. good, evil, right, wrong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so I think that's the start. And if people can get past that, then they can get past the idea that like if, I or anyone else behaves with bias that doesn't make me a bad person it means that I'm exhibiting bias that I need to then go and correct for yeah I there's kind of like an awareness is the first step like knowing you have have the thing yeah we all have it mm-hmm. so there's unconscious bias training are there other things that we can do to like bring awareness to it or eliminate some of that and I'm thinking specifically like you know when you apply for a job mm-hmm. there's some mechanism that doesn't have your name on it doesn't have like mm. things that would signal to a, a hiring manager or recruiter or something like this is this person's context yeah or is that too extreme like i don't know mm. i mean i i've definitely heard of that happening and working well i don't think that everybody's able to do that because uh the you know for example if i were to just speak to some random person in the audience right now and say like oh could you could you get somebody to make these applications or people that reach out to you like not have names or any signifier at all and do that today like that's going to be that's going to be hard like actually one of the most brutal studies i saw was uh, a lawyer and uh, they took a lawyer's resume and one of them had them as part of like a, a traditionally black organization mm-hmm. in their like affiliate sort of extracurriculars and one Mm -hmm. didn't Mm -hmm. and the way that other lawyers rated their resume was like completely different so you know would we be able to weed out those like take those words out of the end of somebody's resume like i think it's a Mm -hmm. lot to ask of people technically Mm -hmm. what i what i think like you know maybe maybe that's like a more elaborate way of accomplishing it Mm -hmm. what i usually try and ask people to do and this of course requires having everybody on board Mm -hmm. is to play the play the game of like switching that knowledge like now imagine a different person with the same thing mm-hmm. and that, that requires i mean a lot of the times designers have stronger imaginations so they can <laughs> do that but like um mm-hmm. but that's one way to do it it's just like would you say that if this was mm-hmm. you know a tall you know cis straight white guy in a button-down shirt that with a stanford degree or like you mm-hmm. know whatever it mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. um like mm-hmm. uh Mm-hmm. Just and I think that goes in all actions, not just like in hiring. It's just oh, yeah. with everything. Yeah. It's like, would I say this if I wasn't, you know, if you were in a totally different physical form? So. A lot of the hiring process hasn't changed since, like the hiring of like just general like office workers, assistants, salespeople. You basically, get in a room with a bunch of people and you tell them about your story, and then you meet with them individually afterwards, and then somebody makes either somebody or someone's, they make a decision, a collective decision to hire you or not. And such a weird, is that actually still useful for us? Right? I think there might actually be an opportunity for some company, a small one probably, that actually might be able to pull it off uh, to actually change the way, the actual process in which we do hire. Yeah. Maybe it's more like a workshop. Maybe it's actually more like a collaborative like event. Because uh, I think the things that we um, 
like to talk about like the things that designers bring to the tables, the ability to one like solve big problems, make things beautiful, and collaborate with others. And I'm not sure if the actual hiring process enables any of those three things. Like they're really good at like allowing people to like kind of like get everything off their chest and like kind of present yeah. their work. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not actually enabling collaboration. There's often not like engineers or PMs in the actual interview process. There's oh, usually, there should be. You right. should definitely have engineers and PMs in your, in exactly. your design loop. The current process is optimized for people who are good at talking right. confidently. Right. right. Yeah. Kind of to right. go to exactly. your confidence. And often showing largely right. visual work. Right. We've, um, right. yeah, we started incorporating like a design exercise, like a whiteboard mm. exercise. Yeah. And I mean, this is actually where you, um, this is where the, the, in, the makeup of your team already matters. Mm. Um, you will see in those more collaborative environments also who's like, which of your candidates is paying attention to who. Mm. So we've had, we've had people come in and kind of like ignore things that women are saying mm-hmm. until a guy repeats them. And when everybody in your team like picks up on that stuff, you're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. No higher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bad news. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's and it's a requirement. Right. You need somebody who's going to treat the people around like, regardless of how they present, like mm-hmm. is going to be able to take their yeah ideas seriously. And it's night and day in those kinds of collaboration situations when you're like playing them out with a candidate. You can. There's some people who like just wind up being a total delight mm-hmm. in that situation, and some people who. Um where it's it's really it's really tough mm-hmm. um i don't i'm not going to say that we have all the answers but it's definitely different data from the traditional optimized for a person who can speak confidently in, yeah. in front of group yeah um i i think it also depends on the role right like you might need somebody who does need to be able to speak confidently in front of a group and then mm-hmm. then you would need to interview for that but if yeah. they also largely are not doing that then yeah. you might want something that's a better proxy if you're hiring a ceo you might have a different set of criteria right. around Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Public speaking ability. I, th- mm-hmm. I think the main thing is like, don't, but like, we should not be afraid to question that stuff and remake it and redesign it just as much as we mm-hmm. question and redesign other things. Yeah. Do, do you think that the, I know a lot of companies do sort of design exercises now. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it's too, is the design part of that just, Sort of a trick, like. Are you ta- are you talking about design exercises like take home, like design no, essays for me, person, or like in a person? Thing. Oh, okay. Feels like the design part of that doesn't actually matter. It's really kind of what you're saying, like how do they talk, and, and what you're saying, how do they collaborate with yeah. people, and yeah, mm. yeah, definitely depends on how it's structured. I don't like know, maybe a, the design part matters. Right. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like, I think I think you can really see how somebody right. thinks about a problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're using it in in two ways. It's it's yeah, I see. Right. for sure. Because right. I we've definitely had people that. Um, they come in and they say, okay, well, you know, I'd like to constrain this problem down a little bit more because right now it's too open. Mm -hmm. And then they write down like several axes of constraints and and it's pretty impressive Mm because you can tell that they're a systematic thinker. Yeah, yeah. And I've been in interviews where I've had to ask like, why is this an actual problem that needs to be solved? (laughs) It was a, uh, I think it was like a, it was either, (laughs) it was like a hotel or one of them was like an ATM, but I was like, okay, this is, it's interesting, but I'm not sure if this is an actual problem. And so I think personally, I would see that as like a. <laughs> That's like a loophole. This problem sucks. I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Exactly. I opt out yeah. of the design exercise. Right. Yeah. So like, opting out because I don't believe in this problem, <laughs> which you can actually kind of turn into an advantage that you have in order to actually understand the problem that you're solving and then to be able to uh, rally people. Um, is this actually the 
what we're focusing. Is this actually what we should be focusing on? Um, and but the thing is, it's like you have like thirty minutes to like present this idea, mm-hmm. and you're just kind of rat holing on. Um, I decided to redo your product. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I didn't uh, want to do an ATM. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not applying to design AP- ATMs. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's interesting. I definitely think there's a lot of work to be done around um, uh, interview processes that are optimized uh, for designers for different types of designers, and also engineering and for product marketing. Um, to really like find like what kind of harmony do we want on our team um, based on the kind of product that you want to make. Um, Cause I think the, it's just really interesting. Like the, as your company one begins to grow, if you think about like, if your company is like a thousand people, everybody went through the same thing of like, you know, talking to like five people in a room and then they just ended up on this really big team. And then you have to have like some sort of like meeting to like introduce them to the team. Uh, and then everybody like, over the course of like a couple months, like gets to know each other, but why does it take that long? All right. So like, is it, is there a faster way to onboard people basically is mm-hmm. the question. And I think there's, we kind of see that with agencies in a way, like where agencies, um, they have to, they kind of, the, the proactive ones where they actually like make pitch decks and they say like, oh, this is an actual opportunity for your product. Um, or so is there a way to reverse that for the actual interview process? Um, so that's just like one idea of, uh, actually finding the strengths that designers are good at and actually using that as a way of create, creating criteria for how we hire people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's the challenges that we have thousands, hundreds of thousands of designers across the world that are already hired today in the current format. So how do you create something that... <laughs> Indoctrinated into the system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. and that's why, like, if you're three people, like, this is definitely the moment right. to be looking at all that visiting right. all that and making making sure that because when i think you're already at a point where you need to be thinking about it pretty hard because that's yeah. that's already kind of like critical critical mass yeah um yeah. another thing that we always want to check for is like people's ability to see things from another perspective i mean that's something that you really need anyway you, people throw the route word around empathy around all the time right now right. it's like to the point where it feels kind of moot to be honest mm-hmm. but um but the ability to, um, in cases of conflict, are people treating it with curiosity? Are people mm-hmm. able to try and imagine something from someone else's perspective? Yeah. And how, I think. How are you screening for that? I think a lot of the times, like, um, it's very similar to user research where you don't want to ask somebody the direct question, like, will you use our product? Yeah. Like, that's like not a good user research. <laughs> Would you pay for this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all of the kind of like, if you look up like the top 10 mistakes that people make during user research questions, like look, look those up and apply those same principles to an interview. <laughs> mm-hmm. You should do that anyway, because yeah. it'll make you a better user researcher. There you go. Um, and, uh, and take a, take a look at how somebody describes like having conflicts or disagreements um, mm. and how, and, and we do, yeah, we do screen for that. Mm. Um, because if, if people, if that isn't a priority for them, mm-hmm. then that's, this is probably not the right environment. Um, and there might be places where they can thrive and be like, but I, you know, I have my amazing design opinion and like everyone else can go, <laughs> yeah. you know, like <laughs> go be a lone wolf somewhere. <laughs> they can go be in, what did you call it? Hell? Is that what you called it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can go be in hell. <laughs> Literally go to hell. We say that as politely as possible. In the nicest way possible. You can go be with other people that don't care about saying anything from anyone else's perspective. Yeah. And the thing about screening for that that's amazing is like part of the point of having diverse perspectives on your team is so that you can make great use of people having a variety of perspectives. And you don't have all of your teammates 
are interested in understanding other people's mm-hmm. perspectives, then like, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So actually screen, um, I, we, we screen through that generally for, through anecdote. Mm. And I do that for what any function. Um, mm-hmm. because name, collaboration. Name a conflict you had with a boss or. Yeah. Or like, you know, let's, let's talk about conflict. And right. yeah. Um, it's hard because like, you can't like pretend conflict like on the spot or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's get in are, the fight yeah let's, let's get in the fight uh, <laughs> hypothetical scenario that's, that's yeah, yeah, fight. That's exactly. so we're gonna do <laughs> we're gonna do a fight. whiteboarding session and then we're gonna do a fight yeah, yeah. that's largely um, the way we wrote our um hiring recs was maximize the number of viewpoints that we can build communities from because it's a community platform we can build great community software for straight white internet boys but like how do we make it mm-hmm. for everyone mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah 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 it's an interesting uh and a lot of this sounds like very applicable towards uh, interaction designers and i'm curious um how this also applies to like visual designers where that becomes very difficult because it becomes very subjective where you're looking at somebody's portfolio and you know it matches like a visual style like a trend that's currently happening um but somebody else that might be coming in that's like just as strong as a visual designer, but they're operating on a different set of trends or they're mm-hmm. operating on a different visual style. Um, so that kind of, I'm curious about that. I don't have the answers for that, like how you find that perfect critique, but I'm curious how that also intersects with this idea of multi-localism. People that come from different cultures, people that um, were born in one culture, grew up in one culture, and then like transported to another um, and actually imagining how your visual language applies to multiple cultures as well. Um, so I think there's a scale question um, and the adaptability of a visual designer um, being able to actually design something that doesn't follow only U.S. trends, but also follows Asian trends, African trends, et cetera. Um, so I think that's also something that you can kind of like think about as part of like your interview process is making sure that people that are critiquing your visual designers actually can look at the visual designs objectively and understand that there's oh uh, boy that's hard <laughs> it's hard it's very hard it's like there's they're designing based off of the current western trends but they're actually able to adapt that design based off of the structure of the ui that they design so that it can apply to different cultures i think so, we have a responsibility as a design community to yeah. uplift that stuff because yeah. right now we don't right, right. now <laughs> right now like bulk of design community kind of tends to look at samey stuff and yeah. it's like oh look yeah. at all is like kind mm. of matches our it's right. navel gazy yeah it's it's like people so want to look at other people gazy. doing work like theirs yeah yeah it makes you feel good that your work right yeah so if we change that i think as a design community we're like what's fresh like yeah. show me something new show mm-hmm. me something different mm-hmm. what is this like how does someone in sao paulo receive right. this how right. does someone in like shanghai look at this it's like funny, I, yeah. I would love to have that conversation right. that just also sounds a lot more interesting to be frank yeah and there's <laughs> yeah there's a it's a there's an interesting question there uh, around uh, multilocalism and um, appropriation as well, because there's the because yeah. mood boards yes. are interesting uh, enablers of appropriation, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. Where it's like, oh, I really love this style from like Luis like Bardagon from Mexico, and I love that la- the large colorful blocks, um, but 
so your company's like, oh yeah, we would love to like create like a design language that like really like uh, fits uh, Mexican culture, but you end up appropriating their designs into your own. So mm. it's like, what's the actual play there? And it's a very scary conversation that. Yeah, where's uh, the balance? Yeah, so I honestly don't know because there's there a part of me that says, you know what, your design needs to fit, make it needs to feel like it fits the culture that is um, residing in. But at the other end, a company should not own what was invented by a culture, right? So it's a capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's a lot of ways that you could miss authenticity on that too Mm -hmm. and like miss on what actually makes it special just by like not having that viewpoint. Right. Which would be... Yeah, yeah. I, f- I feel like I have seen that more kind of in the advertising world where yeah. people say like, here's the company that got it right. Right. And here's the company that didn't. Right. Here's why. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially with um, people worrying about the Asian market right now because mm. it's so massive and so mm. many companies are like, ah. Mm. You get through the like whatever the BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China. Mm. Um, and then people kind of doing it the shallow way and people that actually really get it. Mm-hmm. We made our product in gold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I see that a lot with the like. That's what that's what yeah. people talk about. It's yeah. fucking dumb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, I see it a lot in the uh, kente design. Kente is uh, kind of like an African pattern that uses like a lot of color and a lot of uh, uh, African like uh, shapes to create this like beautiful uh, display. And it's uh, one thing I see is like this hat that I'm actually wearing now is kente style but it's not made by an african group of people it's made by it's like i bought this hat at whole foods but it looked looked african and i was like oh yeah that looks like an african hat so i'm gonna wear it but i'm not gonna tell people i got it from whole foods even though i just did (laughs) you just did did. (laughs) plan ruined exactly so it's it's a um it's a hat that i feel like comfortable and people like interpret it as african because i'm black so they're thinking like oh you must have found like a cool like african like black hat somewhere but it's a it's a question that I think about a lot um, when designing, especially for different cultures. Is um, is it okay to make something feel like it fits um, by borrowing elements? Mm. Um, but at what point, like, what's the balance of doing it in a way that um, uh, it actually feels like it's taking ownership of it? Yeah, or it's not taking ownership of it. I think that's another advantage that you have if you've got an extremely diverse team, right? Mm-hmm. Because then it's not like. Right. everybody's from one place and they're all pulling something from another place. It's right. like everybody's from everywhere. And right. so right. we get to celebrate all of our things. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So it's a, uh, it's definitely a, uh, something I think about, especially as I walk around places like Ikea and I'm like, Oh wow. That looks very Louis Bardagon right now. <laughs> it's like they, I feel like there was like a mood board somewhere where there's like large colorful blocks, um, and it looks very kind of like mid-century, kind of like Mexican style. Then I go to like a place like Ike- Ikea where it's really Scandinavian and I see like this kind of Mexican inspired themes. I'm like, okay, was there like, what was that thread that connected those mm-hmm. things? Um, and is that okay? Right. Should I feel bad about buying this thing? And how will people see it in your context versus right. the store's context? Too? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of deep. That, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a whole other mm-hmm. whole other rat hole. Yeah, so, um, we've talked a little bit about um, hiring, like mm-hmm. making sure that the actual criteria for yeah. success of your company mm-hmm. and the success of candidates um, mm-hmm. patterns in the product. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that we haven't touched on yet is like 
what I've heard from a lot of people is like, I just can't find the people. Mm-hmm. Like, where are it's they? It's a pipeline problem. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's the, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the saying. That's the thing that people say. Yeah. Yeah. While yeah. everybody's like hemorrhaging off the other end of the pipeline. Yeah. And I'm like, well, but we keep stuffing it in the front and mm-hmm, then people are falling mm-hmm. out the back. Yeah. So what Well, you you're part of the pipeline then. <laughs> you're mm-hmm, the end mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> yeah, the end part of the pipeline. You're leaving to someone else's pipeline. <laughs> you are the leak in the pipeline. Yeah. yeah. So what's your response to that? Um, well, when I think it, but the response, I think, to the leaky the thing is just like, yeah, we have, we have grave retention problems. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how you feel. I've certainly had enough urges to, like, turn tail and run into some other <laughs> industries plenty of time in, yeah. <laughs> in my career where I'm like, why am I putting myself through this? Yeah. Um, Luckily, I'm such a nerd that I'm like, but I like the <laughs> things. Um, so I've stuck it out. Hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I think that's definitely an issue. When it comes to the finding, honestly, I just feel like, especially in the United States, we live in such a segregated society. Um, I've been to multiple coworkers, like personal events, and just noticed that there's just not, like people are not hanging out with people that are very different from them Mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that if if that's kind of your life all of the time, Mm -hmm. that makes it way harder for you to turn around and suddenly hire differently from how you're living. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe this is not something people want to hear, but like you have to want to have friendships with people who are super different from you and then have that play out like mm-hmm. in your hiring. This is also going to be an advantage uh, as you build a company because you're not going to build a company with only the roles that are a cookie cutter of you either. Um, so yeah, when we're talking about like behavior, mm-hmm. like a lot of the people that understand how to change human behavior the best are like coming from totally different fields. They're usually mm-hmm. not computer scientists mm-hmm. or you know even engineers or designers like people that have studied like behavioral psychology or like philosophy or just uh, social sciences like totally other things are probably the people whose ideas we need to get into the mix and if we never hang out with people like that like how are we expecting to ever find them mm. and yeah. i think that also goes for like you know race race ethnicity gender right. like you know even among this is like probably a larger social problem, but I've also seen like just gender segregated people's personal lives. Like they don't, you know, guys that just you walk into a party and it's just like all the guys are over here doing one thing and all the girls are over here doing another Mm -hmm. thing. It's just like super weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's tough. Like I kind of just Mm -hmm. wish that human behavior, (laughs) we could all kind of take the initiative to like (laughs) be better as human communities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think like changing that context would, would help us in these like contexts of being designers because yeah. yeah this is like kind of goes to my like layers of the onion thing we're all operating in this context where like right mm-hmm. now there are conversations about race in the united states are super awkward and so like if you're inside a workplace where you're in a corporation in the united states then like yeah the conversations are awkward because mm-hmm. context um and then yeah same thing goes with like if nobody you ever hang out with is very different from you then right you right. just kind of wind up in a bubble. And then when you turn around and want to hire somebody that's different from you, you're like, where do I find these people? Well, yeah, yeah it's going to be a little harder mm-hmm. because you never hang out with them. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, that's a great point about like actually immersing yourself in the culture in which you intend to understand and via and also um, hire. Um, 
And a lot of that is also um, like when I was growing up in, uh, in Iowa, I didn't know historically black colleges were a thing. So it was a, I knew of Grambling because of football and that was it. But I didn't know there was like dozens of them and it was, it was a challenge. So I, I wasn't immersed in a lot of black culture when I was younger. Um, so it was not that pinnacle of, uh, <laughs> multiculturalism, <laughs> Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Every single culture exists in this small town of like a hundred people with one stoplight. <laughs> yeah. And so it's definitely interesting and it's, I can understand the, the thought of like, you know, I really care about this issue and I really want to do it, but I don't understand where to go find the more diverse talent. Um, so start with your product. Um, how is it helping the communities in which you seek to hire from? Once you understand those communities and you're actually like involved in them um, and you're involved in the problems that they are in and of themselves trying to solve. Without centering yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Um, how do you, you can then understand like the different groups and the different clubs that are created within them. You can understand the colleges that they go to, the jobs that they commonly frequent. Um, and then you can basically just, um, it's just like any networking opportunity. It's why we see designers going from Facebook to Google to back and forth is that people are just like well networked and they can offer each other opportunities that lead to other opportunities. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of, as Maylee said, like immerse yourself in the communities and then it will just naturally happen. So the pipeline is there um we just have blinders on because we, we just can't see them we have tunnel vision so it's a um i love the idea of like that immersion aspect that can also make it hard for people outside of i mean especially in the valley there's like yeah. everyone knows everyone yeah like yeah. that's something i didn't realize coming in but like right. it that has to make it so much harder for the culture of the valley to increase in yeah. scope yeah 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 for sure it's really interesting in the bay right now because mm -hmm. i feel like there's mm -hmm. this are you in it or are you not in it mm -hmm. sort of mental calculation yeah, yeah, that happens yeah. with like any random person you get into like a mm -hmm. lift or you're like paying for something at the grocery store. There's the, are you, are you one you, of them? Are you one mm -hmm. of them or not? Right. Mm -hmm. Do you all feel this? Mm -hmm. So interesting. Are you someone I'm going to piss off? <laughs> like, is it dangerous for me to piss you off or something mm -hmm. like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. interesting. Right. Right. I don't think I, I follow. This is why I take lifts alone. <laughs> I think, I think I missed like one context point there about like identifying. Yeah. So people want to know, like, are you one of those tech people or not? Oh. Everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's multiple contexts here. Do I want to tell you I'm in tech because mm -hmm. I want to like avoid you being mad at me? Or also, <laughs> are you someone important in tech who I need to be on their good side? Yeah. Oh, right. Yes. Or do I want to, or do you, are you, am I talking to a person who's probably just really angry about gentrification right now mm -hmm. and will probably make a zillion assumptions about me when I mm -hmm. say that I work at whatever yeah. it is? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I yeah. It's so fucked up. I, like when, maybe this is bad to say a lot, but like when <laughs> Lyft drivers ask me that, like mm -hmm. they can assume I'm in tech because I fit a very like mm -hmm. easy stereotype. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I say like, oh, but I work at a startup mm -hmm. and it feels That makes better. it worse. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it probably does make it worse. Yeah. I think honest. it makes it better than saying I work at Facebook. Yeah. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Most things do. Yeah. I think I don't tell them I used to work at Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, okay, yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. There's the mental calculation there. Yeah. But then when you're at like a tech event, it's like, mm -hmm. where do you work? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. The yeah. first question. Yeah. What do you do? But I think that's, yeah. I think it's like a difficult thing. 
I think it's a difficult thing to navigate. And at the same time, I feel like it's something I've like navigated and you probably feel like this too. It's like mm-hmm. something you've navigated your entire life. Mm-hmm. You've always had to shape shift mm-hmm. and code switch. Mm-hmm. And so like, join us, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you know, for people that have, haven't had a chance to do that. And and the thing that I was calling out when you were speaking to mm-hmm. is like the also don't center yourself. Yeah. It's like, you are a guest. And right. what I have seen people do, it was very sweet one time. What was it? We were... Oh, this was like an, it was like an MIT alumni, like happy hour, I think somewhere outside of Mm. Apple. And there were three women and like, whatever, like a gajillion guys. Mm. And so the women all found each other. We were standing in a little cluster. And I think some recruiter or something had found us and was clearly like very concerned about women in tech and wanted to come talk to us about it. We were all having a wonderful conversation and he came in and took over the conversation and I was like, oh. God uh, damn it. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, honey, yeah. you don't, oh, yeah. somebody needs to tell you mm-hmm. that that's, yeah, so like, don't Hello don't everyone, you. listen, I am woke. Please listen and inform me. <laughs> like, yeah, pat my back because I had curiosity. Like, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. No. It's, uh, yeah. 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 And, and 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 for people not to be discouraged because mm-hmm. it, it takes a little while yeah. and then there's like a zillion like nonverbal cues that mm-hmm. go back and forth between people that have a shared understanding and mm-hmm. it takes a little while to create that safety with people, this little mm-hmm. safety signifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just a lot of stuff. I think about it even in the way that people greet each other, to be honest, like this is another thing in workplaces. I've worked in places where people don't say hi to each other in the morning and they don't make eye contact. Hmm. Um, I think this is kind of common, probably in a lot of like technology places. Um, so, or they might say hi, but they don't make eye contact. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed, especially like, you know, in my spare time when I'm in communities of color, that the eye contact and there's a very deliberate moment of respecting the other person that Mm -hmm. you've, that you're seeing before you get on with the rest of your communication. Mm -hmm. And I see people blow completely past that, especially Mm -hmm. in tech. Mm -hmm. I actually think that if there was one tiny little behavioral detail that we could change, it's that. Mm -hmm. Every time you encounter another human being in your workplace, make sure that they are seen Mm -hmm. and and that they know that you respect them. Mm -hmm. That's it. It takes a glance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And even that much I see not happening. Oh, man. That's so bizarre. That's like... Uh, that would feel so weird. Mm-hmm. Like ugh, I've seen I can't. it so mm-hmm. I've seen it so much. And then mm-hmm. watching the disconnect, right? Because I also like work in entertainment in my spare mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those those crowds will cross mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I see them greet each other and I see a person from one kind of community look at yeah. clearly look for that eye contact and yep. and not get it yeah. from somebody that works in technology and it, it for me it's just as a as a spectator it's so painful yeah, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, all you yeah, needed to do was yeah. like look back and re- and repeat the person's name back to them for example mm-hmm, and just say mm-hmm. did i did i get that correct yeah, like yeah that's it yeah yeah it's like not yeah uh things to avoid top three things to avoid uh oh i'm gonna butcher that or it's like oh i'm not even gonna try or it's like, what were your parents thinking when you named when they named you Chikizi? Oh God! Yeah, so like, those are the three common ones, and I think people that <sighs> oh my God, yeah, I heard I hear those commonly. So it's one of those things. Like, um, I love Manley's points about one the daily interactions and like the daily like signals that we give people that uh, just amongst like respect and love, um, and also when we first meet them, you know, things like repeating back to you that I say that correctly. There's a 
there's a understanding there's a you're sending the signal of i want to make sure i'm getting this right and i respect and i love the the name right um even when people tell me it's like oh i love that name chikizi like that's just like oh yeah i know it's beautiful <laughs> like my mom like named it she thought about it and she gave that to me so it's like the acknowledgement i think there's like little things like that that actually identify you as like an ally within the company right and um then that kind of like creates the the thread. It's like, oh, this person did a really good job with that. And then the other person that they talk to, they seem to also respect. So you're kind of creating this thread, uh, which is great. Uh, so that's like a, that's just culture, right? That's like positive culture. And I like those things. And even if you're in a company of like 10,000 people and there's like five of you, that's, I feel at least safe within that group, right? That's why if something comes up at work, I can at least reach out to those people and talk to them about something bad that happened. So it's those cues really mm. have a an amazing effect on creating like this safe kind of like environment for people, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Something else that I did was um, just make sure that any any enye in people's names, if they have the N with the mm-hmm. squiggle over top of it. Like I make a point of putting it in all of the official yes. documents mm-hmm. yeah. and I've had people on my team say, no one, no one I've worked for has ever kept the enya in my mm-hmm. name. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, it's a part of your name. Mm-hmm. Accents generally are like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Learning Keep how to in. type accents is, is a great keyboard trick as well. Yeah. Just like it's, hold it down. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, I love it when the keyboard remembers it too. And the keyboard's like, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't have to worry. I got you. <laughs> yeah. I got you. You're like, thank you, keyboard. Thank you. Helpful <laughs> software. It's like a little fist bump with your phone. <laughs> oh, so oh good. man. Yeah. Uh, Maylee, I see you looking at your notes. Did, did we miss something that you want to dig into? I just taking taking a look at what I had scribbled down here. So I I found that there are ways to speak to other people in technology around mm-hmm. these these subjects that help them. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the end goal at the end mm-hmm. of the day is the same end goal. I don't really mind what language I need to use in order to try and communicate with people so that mm-hmm. they understand some of the issues. So for example, when I talk when I use the word monoculture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that helps people understand a little bit better what I'm talking about when we talk about a lack of diversity. I think the words diversity and inclusion have become these buzzwords and mm. people oftentimes interpret them as like, let's sprinkle sprinkle a couple of like women and people of color into mm. the team and then we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. We are now diverse. Yeah, yeah. we're we, now diverse. Cool. We, check, yeah, check, yeah. check Diversity the complete. <laughs> check the box. Hire publish the diverse report. person. <laughs> right. Beep, beep. Yeah. Oh, right. All right. Yeah. 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 That's the other thing. Like yeah. diversity yeah. is about a variety not of how that people, works. not like a single person. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. So when, when you actually use the term monoculture, it helps mm-hmm. for a, couple, a number of reasons. One is you're actually talking about culture. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is that you're talking about having a singular culture as mm-hmm. opposed to people being confused and thinking that a single person yeah. can be diverse, et cetera. Like you right, just yeah. j- jump past all that confusion. Right. So right. that's one piece of vocabulary. Love I think it. the other... Um, Sometimes I, I like get very nerdy and put things in terms of just computers, like input, output, like mm-hmm. processing and all that type of thing. Love it. So um, Metaphors are good. Yeah, they're good and they help people understand stuff. So, you know, for example, if like, you know, if emotional intelligence and collaboration are things that really matter on your team and are really part of your hiring criteria, you're trying to explain this to other people on like a super technical team, um, you can talk about how it, in order to have a high functioning team, it necessitates that everybody has the ability mm-hmm. to receive and process emotional data signals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And so when you talk about it in those terms, then a lot of times people who think of computers in terms of Mm -hmm. like input output processing and memory will know like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're saying that there's all this data that we're missing because we don't have people that understand how to receive and process that data and do something about it. So um, that's been like another thing that's helped me have those conversations. Yeah, and you can tie that to impact as well, right? So you can like almost measure it, which is cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So like, that's another thing I'd encourage people not to be like, don't, don't feel the need to use the same words that everybody else is using Mm -hmm. if you can find a better way of explaining it. Mm -hmm. Cause we should, we should try different things and Mm -hmm. share them with each other. Mm -hmm. Cause yeah, different Mm -hmm. things stick with different audiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's uh, one term that I've been using and it's kind of relates back to our, um, uh, the, the white savior complex that we were talking about before, which is, um, almost kind of removing yourself from this pedestal that you are uh, either intentionally or unintentionally creating um, by um, wanting to help. Um, but one word that I do use uh, when I talk about like making sure that our team is diverse and we get more women on the team is, and also enabling people to um, elevate to like leadership roles is actually the term like unblocking. So I'm actually kind of Mm -hmm. looking for a little validation today to see if that's actually a good way to talk about it. But Mm -hmm. the way that I like to use unblocking, um, because it's kind of like a tech familiar term, is removing barriers from things that are blocking people from succeeding. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a way of like, okay, what can we do um, amongst ourselves that's preventing other people from succeeding as opposed to how can we lift up all these other people because we're stars, you know, so it's like, and I want to lift up all these people of color that might not be as smart as me. You right. want credit. Like, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. So like, how do you remove yourself from the situation, but actually like put yourself in uh, the actual, um, uh, how do you make yourself part of the actual problem and the solution? That's right. That's super important. And I think that that working in the educational space, and mm-hmm. especially when you speak to conscientious teachers, mm-hmm. they're very, mm-hmm. very careful about that language. Right, right. Because if students get wind of the fact that you're speaking of them in terms of their mm-hmm. deficits versus the system's deficit in serving them, yeah. then the students internalize mm-hmm. that and you're going to wind up with like, you know, different student outcomes, yeah. for example, right. because people have internalized that they're worse in some way or yes. somehow less yeah. versus that the institutions haven't served them. Right. Yeah. Right. It often gives people an excuse to not try in many cases. If you like talk about mm-hmm. them and like, oh, you're just not good at that. Mm-hmm. Like, right. mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Right. Like yeah. you have this opportunity because of me, so don't mess it up. It's like, yeah, that's not the message that you should be conveying. Yeah. It's uh, about like there's real potential there and I'm gonna do everything in my can to make sure you can see yourself through this thing. Right. I think that's a really it it, it kind of ties into um the idea with education as well being mm-hmm. like, I'm all I'm doing is helping you discover the power that you already have. Right. This is something that's part of you. Right. Right. I'm just show, I'm showing it to you. I love that. I'm helping you see it for yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because otherwise, yeah, you, you take away somebody's agency, mm-hmm. um, which is, that's not constructive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I agree. That's so, so important. Are, um, I'm trying to think if there's any, any are, other. Are Go you ahead. finding more effective outcomes through like bottom up strategies and tactics like that or top down, uh, or like, like cultural change mandates or something? You talking yeah. about in, within an organization? Within an organization, so like uh, like talking about these hiring process stuff. This feels very tactical, mm-hmm. hiring manager esque mm-hmm. stuff that could be very impactful. But is that um, is that feasible in isolation mm-hmm. of support from leadership? Or if you have support from leadership, do a lot of these downstream tactical things just not matter because 
you have somebody mm-hmm. at the top saying like, this is how it's going to be. Does that mm. make sense? Mm. Mm. And if it doesn't make sense, let me know. Yeah, there's a um, kind of like from what we were talking about earlier, uh, to make sure I understand it correctly, uh, kind of like a individual contributor um, and a like manager, um, the different levels of success that they can have? Or is it the, from a manager standpoint, I want to make sure I understand the question. I think it would be like um, companies talking the talk, Mm -hmm. but then they don't have any women or people of color in leadership or executive positions. Oh, yes. Like which would be, which would really be more effective. Right. Interesting. Um, Well, there, one thing that I can kind of speak to is like that facade of we care um, where companies will say something like we changed our, the way that we write our job descriptions. Um, But their top, their company, their culture is still toxic. Um, there's things that a individual contributor can do, um, to identify those issues, um, because just by nature, more individual, the individual contributor community will be my di- more diverse than leadership. Um, so that they can point out things. And I think it then becomes a question of how do you make leadership aware of those problems that you just identified? Um, yeah. And why they're affecting the business. Right. Exactly. So I think there's the, um, uh, I love your like your thoughts on this. Uh, Maylee is just thinking about how can uh, ICs uh, influence uh, that discussion um, so that they um, can make it feel like you know what we're. I can tell everybody cares. I can tell everybody in leadership cares, and let's work together on a problem um, or on a solution to this problem. Uh, versus, you know what? It's like we're doing such a shitty job. Like, how can we can't do better? So, like, how can it be like a productive conversation? Mm, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great question. I mean, I think there's so much that depends on the company culture and how like change works within mm-hmm. the organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Oh. I, there have been really interesting instances, like I think the one at Nike was one recently mm-hmm. where the women actually like ran a survey internally and got data and got mm-hmm. numbers of mm-hmm. how all of the women were feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was really powerful and it clearly like led mm-hmm. to some change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one of the difficult things and, you know, just to, to help people empathize with this for a second, and I'm not saying that everybody's an angel by any means, but... One of the difficult things in in a leadership position as you wind up with like an entirely increasing amount of scope of things to worry about is that there will always be something on fire. Mm -hmm. There will always be something that people are unhappy about. Um, The way that I've put it is like the probability that everybody is happy with everything that you're doing or everything that's going on goes to zero. And the probability that something is blowing up for somebody goes to 100 Mm. as your scope grows in a company. So one of the things that's really hard for your leadership is probably knowing how urgent something is Mm. and whatever you can do to say like, hey, we know that we're trying to balance a lot of priorities right now. This is really an issue. Here's why. And here's some numbers to back up this issue. Like Mm. we are losing 90% of, for example, you know, the black people that we hire in this company within Mm. a year. Mm -hmm. Average attrition is taking two to four. We're losing people under under one, you know, like something is going wrong. If you're able to gather those numbers and make the case and say Mm -hmm. like, here's how it's affecting business, here's why. Um, And then, and we have some ideas of how to solve this problem. Then you're much more likely to get the problem solved, I think, in most environments. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I love that kind of, 
speaking in their language, you know, and like numbers mm. that they can understand. Money. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk yeah. about money. It's yeah. yeah. about dollars and cents here. Yeah. Yeah. Attrition yeah. is expensive. Right. It's, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So that, that type of thing. And mm. yeah, exactly. Mm. It's just like, it's design. It's like meet your users where they're at. Like that mm. whole design principle mm-hmm. is the same thing mm-hmm. inside a company when you're designing your communication, mm. who you're talking to, mm-hmm. and, like needs to be designed for your audience. So, right. Right. Yeah. So when you're raising these issues, uh, especially if you like have this data and you can prove that there's a problem, you're talking about like bringing a constructive solution. What if you don't know the solution? Is it like, mm-hmm. do you still voice that concern? Like mm-hmm. where does, how do you mm-hmm. approach that? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good question. That is a good question. I mean, I think it's important to state that you want to find a solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And even if, this is something actually I work with my team on sometimes too, is like, what is a confidence inspiring way to approach communicating ambiguity? Mm-hmm. So you can say like, so I don't currently have any proposals for a solution, mm-hmm. but I'd be willing to hop in yeah. and have a conversation with the yeah. right people. Right. Um, I think that there have been some, you know, there's clearly some interesting work that's being done in mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z places. Right. We could t- take a look at what they're doing and right. speak to them because right. we've noticed that they've been able to reduce their attrition over mm-hmm. whatever percent in the last number of years, you know, that kind of thing. Right. right. So, um, you know, you show that you're, you've thought about it somewhere beyond like, I don't know, this sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and definitely one thing I found useful uh, now is partnering with people. Because um, I think that oh, yeah. to our other conversation about um, finding other people that you can relate to in the company, partnering with people is also in a way that you've um, gained understanding amongst like one other person. You share that thought and you're bringing to your leadership like this problem that you're actively solving. So you're giving them like an update. And then he's like, yeah, just give me time to think about a solution. Give us time to think about a solution and we'll come back. So I love that. Um, and the intersection of what you are just mentioning, Maylee, I think the um, ability to convey that problem like really well uh, and show that you like, you have a partner that you can like work with um, and you can use that person in, like in leadership to bounce those ideas off of and to kind of get their feedback along the way. Yeah. So, having backup. Yeah. Having yeah. backup. Yeah, 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 don't go at it alone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't need to just, do any of it alone. It's like backup. Yeah. Th- <laughs> yeah. I know that this is a very opposite end of the spectrum problem, but like when Bryn and I would go to pitch right. with each other, like Bryn would, would lead. And anytime I talked, I just felt like if I fuck up or if I run out of things mm. to say, at least Bryn's sitting next to me. Mm. Like, and he won't shut up. Apply oh. that to more important problems. Like I, I can oh. only imagine just even yeah. the knowledge that, yeah. you know. Like, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, if I run out of words to say, someone can like yeah. <laughs> smooth the awkwardness. Yeah, That's and, and humans are funny. Like they they'll also take cues off of each other. So if you've got one other person that's like nodding along to you already, mm-hmm. it makes it harder for that third person not to lo- nod along with you. It's just really I'm I'm not saying to be manipulative. All yeah. you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just humans. <laughs> We're funny uh, creatures. I mean, and then if you look yeah. at someone intently, like yeah. you're expecting them to continue yeah. speaking, they yeah. often will as yeah. well. Which that's is actually the worst a really good fucking thing. I hate that yeah. mechanic. But yeah. it works. It works yeah. on me every time. Yeah, it works. And there's something actually interesting there, and you can't see it, folks. Sorry, but there's when when I'm listening to people speak, even at conferences, I can put myself in their shoes of like they must be really fucking nervous up there and mm-hmm. like i just like start nodding and like yeah you know what That's, like what you're saying is making sense uh because i also hop right in the front row at the live show yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it's like that just was like great. the nod and like just acknowledging that the things that they're communicating, it's almost like there's like this like connection, like this magnetic connection that they're trying to make a point. Um, and if you're like kind of like like squinting and you're like looking at them and you're like kind of your mouth is dropped, then that sends a signal to them. It's like, oh man, they're they don't understand what the hell I'm saying. So I'm like now continuing like to butcher like what I'm saying. So there's, I think, as an audience member, somebody in leadership, somebody that. Uh, somebody came to you and they're like trying to voice this concern like you know showing those visual cues of like nodding like acknowledging that you're listening to like what they're saying mm -hmm. so that they can get their point across like really well right yeah <laughs> i think yeah. an amplified version of <laughs> amplified true. version of that is like live I mean, that's like an audience hype man <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, it just reminds me of the office episode where they have to teach dwight how to interact with women and they're like not alone and he was yeah nodding yeah <laughs> just like a robot oh my God. Sorry. <laughs> it's like less violently. Yeah. That one is so yeah. good. It, it, it is interesting though. Like I've gone to see live shows in New York and then seen the same show in San Francisco. <laughs> and the crowd in New York is like super hype and giving so much energy back to the performers that mm. you wind up with like twice the quality of a performance. Mm -hmm. And then you come to San Francisco and everybody's just like sitting quietly in their seats and mm -hmm. the whole the performance crew is clearly just like they feel that like sucks. they're pulling teeth. Mm, and they're yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. So you do, you can give back a lot as an audience. It's true. And then that's done. That's distills down to the single unit of two people. Right. Right. I also want to call out that it's totally normal and okay to, if you are in the position of being from an underrepresented group mm -hmm. to feel totally exhausted mm -hmm. and not necessarily feel like, like it's totally understandable if you don't feel like being constructive. It's very human to mm -hmm. not want to feel like being constructive. Mm -hmm. You're probably tired. You probably deal with all kinds of things like in the rest of your life and your family probably deals with stuff too. So uh, it's, it's okay if you're not feeling like that at the moment. Mm -hmm. And if I were to kind of look at both sides of those ex equations, like I definitely ask for a lot of understanding of other people. Like, uh, you know, I've gotten in Twitter exchanges over this too, where it's like, don't, tone police people's frustrations if mm -hmm. they're from an underrepresented group and maybe they're tired of explaining things to you and maybe they don't want to explain all of the things to you in twitter in like 280 characters mm -hmm. that you don't understand yet and it's a question they've heard like a zillion times over and over again and if mm -hmm. they express frustration just like be understanding that they're coming from a totally different place in history that is affected by multiple hundreds of years like mm -hmm. this is where we are mm -hmm. it's 2018 mm -hmm. um and if you're somebody who's just feeling exhausted and you don't feel like explaining, then I think that's okay too. Mm -hmm. And if you do and you're tired, then like take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> are, there, yeah. are there outside of work communities that you've found helpful, like Slack mm -hmm. teams or? Yeah, most of like, them are like like little private groups, like Slacks, Discord groups that just I've been invited to. And it's like really nice to just kind of exist within those spaces. And the interesting thing is, uh, the ones that are mainly like audio only, I don't think they really know who I am. So it's nice to not be Chikizi the designer and just be, you know, whatever my gamer tag is that day. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that's one thing. But also I, I thought Maylee's point was just beautiful and that, you know, we are human and, you know, we are subject to emotion and just making sure that um, you don't feel like overburdened. Like you feel like you have to be the one that solves this problem. Right. And so I think um, that's really uh, awesome to hear. And there's this, I, I love the, the connective tissue between 
underrepresented people um, that aren't even like close to one another is like that when I'm, I'm walking like down the sidewalk and I see like another like black guy, like, you know, there's, there's that nod, like we, we get it, you know, we, we nod to each other. We understand, but there's, I just love the, the understanding that we have, like we are surviving. We are just getting by, we're doing what we can. Uh, so I, I love uh, to, I don't even want to try to repeat like Maylee's words. So I thought they were perfect. Um, just that uh, do what you can to like get by and don't feel like you have to be the one that, uh, solves this like diversity and inclusion uh, monolithic challenge. Yeah, know, so. yeah, and for you know, for to the people that have that do and are able to speak out and have that energy, like mm-hmm. you know, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of labor, and oftentimes it's it's unpaid and it's not appreciated. And yeah. you know, f- for those people out there who have actually made it into their business, like mm-hmm. great, you know, like that's awesome you're also doing great work so mm-hmm. and then you know it's not something we should take for granted because it is yeah it is additional work that mm. a lot of people are doing on top of so that that's actually another thing when you mm. were talking about removing barriers yeah that's the other thing i was thinking about is also like keeping in mind how many barriers people have gotten over to get to where they're going today right so if you're looking at a group of people where all of the accomplishments on paper are mm-hmm. roughly the same mm-hmm. but one of them probably had to like jump over like a million barriers to get there Mm -hmm. and then you think about what their capacity would be if you remove those barriers Mm -hmm. like i think that's like an important yeah mental model for people to have that's a great mental model yeah 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 that's really good uh thank you both so much for you oh yeah really appreciate it coming in and talking with us it's been fun yeah one little thing there's a book that came out just january of this year called so you want to talk about race hmm I don't know if any of you have read it yet, but mm. I, I think I it's really um I think it's really actionable mm. um and it breaks things down in term in terms and language that are really approachable and speak to all audiences. Mm-hmm. Um mm. so, you know, I think it's an it's on the front counters of a lot of bookstores, at least in the Bay Area now, mm. and it's available online so people can take a look at that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Great. Yeah. Nice. I'm so glad we got to get have you both on one more time before. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, seriously. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's been awesome. That was 253. Thanks so much to Maylee and Chikizi for coming up and hanging out with us. That was one of the best episodes I think we've ever done. Like, I think we actually covered important subject matter and we brought on the right people so that we didn't sound like idiots while trying to do it. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought on spectrum.chat slash specfm, which is where our podcast community lives. And of course, before we go, Huge thank you to our sponsors that made this episode possible. First up is Abstract. They are version control. They are time travel for your sketch files. They are... Time wizards of the pixels. Well, you're not allowed to talk about the time wizardry. That's... Oh. Oh. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> They're all my What have you done? <laughs> what have I done? Uh, upgrade your design workflow today at goabstract.com. You can get a free month trial to change the way uh, that you and your uh, team. Oh no, they uh, came. The ah. time wizards got me. <laughs> uh, Goabstract.com. I'm sorry. Change the way that I, you, your team, and uh, the world builds and collaborates on. Remember me. Time wizard products and digital designs. Thanks again to Abstract. Go to Goabstract.com. Sign up for a month for free. And while you're doodling your way towards that website, be sure to be doodling on Swipeys. <sighs> I held a Swipey Did in front just... of myself and it saved me from the time wizardry. Oh, thank God for Swipeys. Swipeys are durable, reusable, wet erase paper that is going to change the way that you take notes and draw mock-ups and wireframes. And we can't recommend them enough. 
go get yourself a packet, S-W-I-P-I.es. That's Swipies. And they're not uh, just wet erase paper. They also protect you from chronomancy. That's right. All for a low price that will be 10% lower when you use the promo code SPECFM at checkout. That's its own kind of wizardry. That is magical. Thank you again to Swipies and Abstract for changing the way that uh, we work. Appreciate you. We also appreciate you, the listener. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.